your mission, should you choose to accept it. We will be to listen to this podcast at half speed in full. As always, if you or any member of your team is caught or killed, the Infinity Watchers, John and Jared, will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Welcome back to Infinity Watchers, everybody. I'm Jared, joined as always by John. And we returned to theaters last week to see Black Widow, finally. Yes, we did. Felt good to go felt good to go back, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It was nice. That was the first um, time I've been in theaters since COVID, really. So it was it was definitely nice and what a what a great flick to return to. I, w- I would say so as well. Um, so we returned to theaters. And of course, of all things that happens, we did a brief intermission about with about 20 minutes left in the movie. It was, pr- it was pretty nice of Marvel to do, wasn't it? Yeah, it was nice. I mean, I hope that's something <laughs> that carries through phase four is just a nice intermission in the smack in the middle of the third act. <laughs> yeah, where right after a huge reveal happens, the power just goes out and takes literally half an hour for the projector to be rebooted the sound to come back on the picture to come back on and for everything to sync properly and uh it was it was pretty entertaining not not gonna lie uh it did make that first viewing stretch out quite a bit though yeah it it was a little jarring yeah so uh, that intermission uh extended the movie by about 30 minutes for us when we went to see it and I mean, this is, all, this is already like two hours and 15 minutes, somewhere around there. So this was pushing endgame territory at a point yeah. for us. Um, but toward the end, like I, part of me just wanted to get out of there. I was <laughs> like, it had been a long day. It was tired. Hadn't slept well the night before. And uh, it was a long day at work. And so my, my experience, I, I saw it twice in the past couple of days. My experience the first time around, I really didn't like this one at all. Really? Like, yeah. Like it, I, tr- I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because I had just seen F9 two days ago and I thought this was just <laughs> like, I'm just seeing everything that was in F9 again. Like, <laughs> like I don't understand like what, what, what's so great about this. They're talking about family every five minutes. Like this is another fast, fast and furious movie. <laughs> F9 bored me. This is boring me right now. Uh-huh. Um, but then as like I let I let it sit a little bit longer, uh, listened to some analysis and read some reviews of it and tried to get some outside perspectives and opinions. When I went back to see it again, this definitely shot way up in my rankings after seeing it through a new point of view, which I'll get I'll get into. We'll get into in a little bit here. But this definitely I I. I like it quite a bit. It has its problems. It's wonky in places. But to me personally, I think this is the best version of a Black Widow movie we would get. Interesting. That's definitely interesting. Um, For me, I I really enjoyed it. It was definitely action packed. um, And really, the characters drove this. I mean, they relied on the, you know, the action in a sense, but also Mm -hmm the dynamic between Natasha and Yelena and, Mm -hmm. you know, their extended family to really carry a lot of, a lot of this movie. And I thought, you know, the character work was, was pretty strong in this. Um, I have it, you know, we'll talk about rankings later, but you know, it's kind of a, about like a middle tier MCU movie 
for mm-hmm. me. Like very good, not great, I would say, in my opinion. But but we'll we'll dive into the exact reasons why because I don't think I can really go into a lot of my my reasons without spoiling it. Um, but like at, at a at a high level, I would say for me it didn't go enough into like the Mission Impossible type territory. Mm-hmm. You know, like there there were kind of two larger scale set pieces and larger scale action sequences um and one of them was maybe not as thrilling as the other one <laughs> but i'll i'll go into the specifics once we get into the the spoiler section yeah well i realized on my second um on my second viewing that this is the mcu's version of a bond movie completely like it, yeah it has some elements of mission impossible I know some elements of a few other spy movies, uh, one of which was Munich. Um, I'll talk about that when we get into spoilers, but um, there are some elements of Bond in here. And once I saw it through that lens, I enjoyed it so much more. Um, Even the infused with um, it's a family drama and a Bond movie combined. Yeah. And once I saw it that way, that's what like brought this up to another level for me. Plus, <laughs> I hate to say the bar was setting really low with Captain Marvel with the, the first uh, <laughs> woman-led Marvel or MCU entry, mm-hmm. but this like blew that out of the water completely for hmm. me. Interesting. Yeah, I think it didn't suffer from the same problems that I had seen with Captain Marvel. Um, I think this has kind of different problems, but. You know, with Captain Marvel, my my problems with it were always around the the plot, yeah, <laughs> and the the idea to go with the memory loss plot mm-hmm. for for Carol Danvers, and I, I just didn't think that worked as well. And we didn't get to see enough of who Carol actually is in that film. Um, but with this and Natasha, we definitely get a lot of insight into her character. Um, nothing that really changes how we see her. I don't think. Um, no. It's more of more of kind of the same from her, but you know, to see her in the leading role is definitely awesome. And you know, I think Florence Pugh as Elena Belova steals the show oh, really. easily. It's, like it's, I, I'm incredibly it, excited to see more of her in the MCU. She was awesome. Her, I, I love Scarlett Johansson in this, but her, David Harbor, and Rachel Weisz are acting circles around her in this. They are all fantastic to me. Granted, the the Russian accents are 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 hit and miss, and yeah. they're, they're slipped in and out of. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the three of them just outpaced Scarlett Johansson in in this one. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. I I wouldn't go as far to say they outpaced her. I think Scarlett Johansson still did a really good job, and I think they they seemed so great, and they they were great. But it, I think they seemed so great because it was so fresh and new like they they were the new entries in phase four for this film you know and i I we've seen so much of of black widow albeit not leading your own movie right but you know it it just felt like kind of more of the same from her which isn't a bad thing because you know she's an interesting compelling character in and of herself and i think what's interesting is it it occurred to me when we were sitting and watching the trailers and the uh, the sean chi trailer came up and it, it finally hit me like why I think we're so excited for it. And it's, it's not that just, um, but even with Eternals, like it's, it's not, and we, I think we've talked about this at one point, but it's not even that we've, we've seen Natasha a couple times through this. And even with 
new characters being introduced to this series through Black Widow, I think part of the reason we're more excited for something like Shang-Chi or the Eternals or Multiverse of Madness is that these are kind of fresh tapes and new, just new characters all around. And part of my part of my initial reasoning for not liking this was because it didn't to me at first, it didn't feel fresh, but then going into it a second time with a new set of eyes, it did feel fresh. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what gets me excited for this next phase of the MCU cinematically TV. We've already gotten three entries. We're about to get fourth in a couple weeks, but I am more excited to see these fresh new tapes on characters. And the fact that, this felt like a one shot. This didn't like it's tied into the rest of the MCU, but I don't think you need to watch the rest of the MCU to understand what's going on in this. No, they reference the events of Civil War. They never even hint toward what's going to happen in Endgame. Yep. And they just kind of hint toward where she's going in Infinity War and what happens after this. But it felt very, uh, very isolated in its own storytelling. Yeah, it it definitely felt like it. I think the placement of it in phase four hurt it a little bit for me. And I try to look at these in a vacuum, but like it it needed to be in phase three. Like it yes. just did. Like it had it had a genuine place there. Here it just feels too late. It's still a lot of fun, but to say this is phase four when really it's not like <laughs> if I was doing a rewatch of the MCU, I would. I would never watch this after Far From Home, I don't think. No. I would watch it, you know, go with the chronological approach and watch it, uh, you know, where it belongs. And, and I think, you know, we've gotten prequels in the past. We've gotten, you know, the first Avenger. We've gotten Captain Marvel. But those haven't existed on the timeline that we already know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a prequel to to some movies and a sequel to others, which is just a weird, a weird, weird thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. like Rogue One, you know, Rogue One is very similar in the Star Wars pantheon. And I feel like this also kind of runs into the the prequel type traps of over explaining certain things that don't need explained at some point. I, I can't really get into the specifics on what those things yeah. are. Um, but you know, they they answer questions that we didn't really wonder going into this, <laughs> you know. Um <laughs> So but, it's a solo problem too. Well, not nearly as bad as solo. Was. That was the worst part of solo. It's like, hey, you know Han Solo. Did you ever wonder how he got literally everything that we know him for in the span of two weeks? You know this extremely <laughs> like, mysterious wow. character that you don't want to know the bad story to. Do you want to know his bad story? Well, the problem with Solo was like all of his connections and all of his gear and ships and everything that we know him for were explained in this one movie. It's like this one adventure provided all of his defining trains. <laughs> like even his freaking name. <laughs> like, come on. It, it, this isn't nearly as bad as no. that. Um, but there are a couple things that I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> But they, they definitely do a decent job of placing this on the timeline and telling you exactly when this happens, even more so than I, I thought they would. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the strength for me in the movie is the the character interactions and as it is a lot of times with Marvel movies because they do focus as much on character as they do on spectacle. But right. I love the introduction of Yelena and it, it worked really, really well. 
Yeah, I, I I absolutely love uh Florence Pugh's performance here, as we've mentioned. But like in order for this character to work, they really needed to sell the audience on uh like the passing of the torch from Scarlett Johansson to Florence Pugh. Because from what I understand, this might be Scarlett Johansson's last outing in this role. Um mm-hmm. So they need to sell the audience on Florence Pugh. And I I, I think they've done it because I haven't seen anybody that has said they didn't like Yelena as a character. Yeah. Um, as the uh, and she does a great job. She did this in Little Women as well, but she does a great job kind of like flowing between a more uh, mature young woman and, and like a child. Yeah. Uh, and she did that almost perfectly here. Yeah. So definitely. Um, I. I, I can't give her enough praise. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting what they're what they're doing with the character because there's not really like a torch to pass because they're already Black Widows, but they did a ton mm-hmm. to to set her up as something that's going to be a big deal in the MCU going forward, but also differentiated her enough from Natasha, like her character. They're completely different. You know, I mean, she has an accent, which is one thing, but at the same time, she doesn't break it either. No, she's um at the same time she's she's a little bit like cockier, yeah, a little bit um more comedic and like kind of a little bit more laid back in her personality and like her quips and it it's well she's the she's the little sister. Right. Like, yeah, it, she plays that, that's that really just, well. That's just naturally how that role would go while Natasha is the older closed off sibling. Yeah. So I think I think we have a lot more to say, but it's kind of hard to say without getting into spoilers. So yeah, let's just get right into it. Yeah, let's just dive in from here on out. Full blown spoiler warning. Uh, let's just let's just get into it. So we're not going to do our usual <laughs> full blown recap like we usually do for our TV yeah. episodes because we could be here for hours mm-hmm. <laughs> picking things apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so. With, I should say this with spoilers. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I very much enjoyed the film. Um, all of the things I liked, I mostly talked about in the spoiler free portion. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't like is what I, I couldn't really talk about without getting into spoilers. So let's hear um, So my spoiler thoughts on this. I wasn't a huge fan of the moment Natasha went to Drakov's office onward. Um, I thought it was a little clunky. I didn't like that the stakes were raised so significantly. It felt like this movie was aiming to be just this small like story about Natasha taking down the Red Room. And then when she gets to Drakov, you know, he's like, I have widows all over the map. And he points to them. And he's like, I'm, I can control this entire army at a at a glance i've infiltrated all these governments and i'm always kind of like oh well it's just kind of like another end of the world type story like they, they scaled up the power level of Drakov so much in the end that i would have preferred the film if it was just you know here's this small group of black widows that are in the red room we're going there to save them and take down the red room like i thought it was stronger when they had that focus and it, it just felt kind of unnecessary to bring in like the world ending threat especially because of the placement of this and us having no reference to any of these events happening in any movie that we've seen already. You know, it just feels like with something that huge and massive and on that scale, we would have seen something 
about it in you know the the movies that followed see i get where you're coming from uh and, and especially in the case of why haven't we heard about like this the satellite coming down from from the atmosphere but like and like this secret assassin training child trafficking organization but like i i think this would be something that would be covered up uh like once natasha like escapes i think like that's why we wouldn't have heard anything along these lines um see I'm I'm still split on Dracoff as a villain because as I said in the spoiler free section, this is a Bond movie through and through. Right before we started recording this, I started I watched Moonraker, which is considered like one of the cheesiest Bond movies, and it definitely is. Um, but there is a lot that is taken out of there and is put into this. Um, I mean, she even Natasha's watching it in her trailer that's like that's the that's the bond movie she's Mm -hmm. quoting um it's no accident out of all 25 or 26 bond movies that's the one that they're pulling from um the the villain the bond villain in there drax and uh or the other bond villain jaws um they kind of have similar similar goals to drakov and taskmaster in this one and even Taskmaster has a similar arc um, to Jaws, but it, like just some things to throw out there: the the skydiving scene at the beginning of Moonraker is this is the skydiving scene at the end of Black Widow, mm-hmm. as as like it's almost shot for shot as they're coming really? down. Yeah, the um, the giant spaceship or the giant ship in the sky that is covered by a cloaking device that is taking taken straight out of moonraker interesting like like that is like the the city they call it a city in space it is literally up in space and has like a cloning device or a um cloaking a cloaking device so that satellites and radars can't pick it up so this this is what i mean that Drakov is a straight up Bond villain in the sense that they have this convoluted, not even convoluted, but this plan to take over the world. But I think what I'm trying to get at is they made Drakov as rehensible as possible on top of him using women to take over the world. He, they're taking a Bond villain and just dialing it up 20 notches. And it was very hard for me to watch this. And not think that this is definitely this definitely needed to come out, or at least should have maybe come out before the Me Too movement started. Like it, it was very hard for me not to keep thinking that Ray Winstone is just doing a Harvey Weinstein impression with a Russian yeah, accent. I've heard or that. He's he's tr- like uh, Ray Winstone. I didn't buy him as Drakov just because I know Ray Winstone from a few other movies where he just plays a goon. Uh huh. And his Russian accent is really bad in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, for a performance, it's to me, it's not that great. As a character, though, it's it, it divides me because they made him as, as rehensible as possible. But I see your point of it's just kind of a bad guy wanting to take over the world. Yeah. And I think, I think all of the stuff about him, you know, being Natasha's abuser and all of that works. 
for for the story they're trying to tell. I just didn't think we needed the world map with all the widows and that becomes the stakes. And then it, it's like the widows that are on the red room become a little bit less important. Are they, are they less important though? They're not, but I mean, it just kind of, you know, we're seeing like six out of 5,000 or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it just kind of uh, ups the scale so much that it makes the stakes a little bit lower for everything that happens after the base is already destroyed. For me, I guess. See, this is this is where I disagree because the rest of the widows wouldn't know that the red rooms are gone at this point. They're still under that uh, that neurolock, or I and I couldn't understand what what the chemical was that they were using to. Um, I think it's just mumbo jumbo. <laughs> yeah, it's some sort of mind infinity con- dust. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. It's some sort of mind control uh, that that they perform. What on if it's mind zone dust? It's mindstone dust. It's the atoms that Thanos <laughs> reduced the mindstone to. <laughs> Even um, though this came out way before that. <laughs> um, and what's funny is when I kept seeing those vials, I kept thinking that was the ether. Like we've been trained so <laughs> yeah, much. It to, like it. Yeah. We've been trained so much to think of certain colors meaning certain things in the MCU that uh-huh. like, that's just stuck. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I disagree because the widows wouldn't know that the red room's taken down in this case. And this is where the rest of the widows and Yelena are heading. Even Alexi and Melina are heading at the end of the movie is their mission is then to go free the rest of the widows. Yeah. Well, they do know the red room's destroyed though, because after Natasha fights them, they they're freed from the mind control. Oh yeah. The ones in the red room runs in the red room. That's what I mean. But then the rest that's the rest, true they're still under across the rest control. of the world do not and i i do like the fact that they showed that this is a global problem that this isn't just in the u.s this isn't just in third world countries this is across the world an issue that these women are being abused in one sense or another it's not just yeah. a sin- in a singular place at a singular time yeah i mean i get it i just I felt like the movie was working better for me with the smaller stakes. And when the larger stakes got introduced, like they barely did enough with the widows. Well, they, I don't think they really did enough with the widows on the ship to make you really care about them that much. Like they, they all had the same, I mean, they were under mind control. So obviously they have the same personality, but like taking the time from that and investing it in, explaining a little bit more about the widows that are on the ship. Maybe like, you know, they came from the same village somewhere or something. You know what I mean? Like giving a little bit, humanizing them a little bit more would have, would have worked better for me than showing the map and saying, Hey, you know, these six that we see on the ship, there are 5,000 more of them out there. See, I'm going to disagree again. (laughs) Okay. Go for it. (laughs) Because this was a very subtle choice that that they made when making this. And I didn't notice it until my second uh, viewing, but all of the widows we see on the ship, they are it's a it's a multicultural group and none of mm-hmm. them have masks on. Absolutely none of them do. So you see each individual person and they're all unique in their own way. Each woman uh-huh. is unique in their own way. So again, this just shows that Dracoff has been doing this to multiple women across multiple generations, across multiple countries and civilizations and cultures that it to me, I understand your point of the states were low when it was a small group, but now that we see that we see these women have been humanized to us, even if it's just um unconsciously that we see that these once these women are free, 
they are then able to they have agency in their lives yeah yeah like that this, makes sense like this, mean, is the, this is the first time i've seen henchmen in one form or another not have masks on yeah yeah the there are someone in the red room that do mm-hmm. but the ones that were not meant to they're the ones that were not meant to connect with or not meant to humanize with right yeah that's that's definitely interesting um i just think if you're gonna go with stakes that high then they should have done more with it and committed to it a little bit more because they never really explained I mean, Drakov never really went into what his plan was. Like, what is he doing with all these people? Is it just insurance to keep himself safe and just hold that over the heads of, of people to protect himself? Yeah, that's that's definitely Basically what it was. It. Yeah. That, from from what I picked up, that's definitely what it was. And Natasha even calls him out on it of all you can do all of that from behind that little desk of yours. Like, like yeah. at a point, once she severs her her nerve and breaks through his pheromones, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. Um he has no power then he is completely powerless power is like this uh power he has given himself is all he has mm-hmm. he's built this army on literally nothing yeah and in the intro i don't know if you noticed but there were two or three people spe- like very specific people that they showed drake off with that was jimmy carter yeah. bill clinton and vladimir putin yeah it, I don't understand Carter as much, but it's no accident that they put Bill Clinton of all people in there and Putin of all people in there. Yeah, um, it's a little ham fisted. Yeah, I'll agree with yeah. you on that, that that they're forcing him into history and they're forcing uh, they kind of gave an exposition dump to his plan. I'll give you that, but I'm just going to fall back on the bond argument again of this is every bond villain just monologuing right before the plan falls mm-hmm. apart. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, well, I don't know. I mean, you make good points. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it changes that for me just because I don't think that motivation is good enough for me to make him like compelling of enough villain to offset the stakes. Oh, no, he's not no. necessarily compelling, yeah, but, but given given the perspective that the story is being told through, I think it works very well. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So I, I'm not going to say you're wrong for not no, liking him. No, he, I, I mean, he is a very ham-fisted villain. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I see where you're coming from. Just for me, the fact that this is being told through Natasha's perspective as Drakov, as her abuser, that's how I'm reading it. Right. Gotcha. Well, while we're while we're talking about some of the the villain stuff, what did you think of Taskmaster? Again, I will fall back on the Bond argument. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> that Taskmaster, they made a Bond villain in this. I don't mind the gender swapping. And again, I will fall back on that argument that the woman who plays Taskmaster in this Olga Kirilenko was a Bond girl herself <laughs> in Quantum of Solace. Mm-hmm. There, that is not an accident. <laughs> so <laughs> that can't be an accident. So uh, the fact that Taskmaster in this one is a has a sort of disability and is helped by some sort of prosthetics or uh, or mechanical suit or um, mechanical uh, limbs some sort of computer chip 
right mumbo jumbo <laughs> that is the definition of a bond villain <laughs> i mean i mean odd job and goldfinger has a hat that cuts people in half <laughs> um it's a little bowler hat uh jaws is jaws has a metal mouth he doesn't have teeth it's literally just a metal mouth um so it it after i saw it through that lens i couldn't get it out of my head and i my only problem with taskmaster in this in this specific case is we didn't get enough of her yeah mm-hmm. that's such a cool villain yeah but she's cut out of it so much and i i get i don't want to say i get people that understand that don't like it because it's not tony masters that does it um or that is taskmaster in this i did see a compelling argument though that it's possible that this is a a taskmaster program yeah yes she's a perfect um she's a perfect mimic but how much of that is her and how much of that is the program i got the way i took it was that it's all the program okay i mean they call it the the taskmaster project so to me that was meant to say you know this is a technology that we've developed we've put her in here because you know it's a, a way for her to survive and her mind's already damaged from the initial budapest um it's it's budapest budapest <laughs> the budapest, budapest uh skirmish <laughs> so she would ended up being a good specimen and just like you know any other woman obviously drakov abused her right mm-hmm. so <laughs> his own daughter his own daughter mm-hmm. which and- I, I love I, I will say i love um giving new meaning to loki's line in avengers one when he when he says drakov's daughter to natasha See, I had seen that thrown around a lot this weekend. I didn't realize that was a real thing. Yeah, I didn't. Very cool. I didn't realize that that was like a, an actual line. I thought they were refer- just referring to the red in her ledger, not nope, not the actual Drakeoff's daughter. He says it right after he says, "Can you wipe out that much red, Drakeoff's daughter?" Mm-hmm. Um, and we also get another call back to that scene when Natasha says, "Thank you for your cooperation to Drakeoff." Yeah. That's the same exact thing she said to Loki after right. he revealed that he was going to unleash the Hulk in Avengers 1. So really cool callbacks there. Um, and yeah, it, it's neat to get new meaning to that line because I always had just assumed that she is Drakov's daughter because we didn't know who Drakov was really. Right. Um, so it's kind of cool. Cool to see that. I w- she I w- kind of is, though, in the same way, in the same sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she is a daughter of the Red Room, a daughter oh, yeah. of the Black Widow program. So it's kind of well, like he- double meaning. Yeah, that's that, that's true. I didn't think about that. Well, he, he also calls her his child, but he abandons abandons her at first notice. Like, doesn't even like as mm-hmm. the red room is exploding, he doesn't even go back for her. He wants to go back for the ring. Oh yeah, he. Doesn't I mean, care. he calls her an asset. He calls he calls women a natural resource. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> that just makes it even worse. And I mm-hmm. will say, back to drag off for a second. One of the biggest complaints. I'm probably gonna get some flat for this, but one of the biggest complaints I've seen people say is they hated it when he started hitting natasha that just made it even worse like you're supposed to hate him even more for doing that yeah like that mm-hmm. they evoked a very visceral reaction out of people yeah that they were trying to go for like yeah you're supposed to hate him for that one of my one of my issues with the abuse angle is the way that they you know framed it as like the abuse only makes me stronger like i yeah I, I don't like how much she relied, not relied on, but how much she pointed back to her abuse 
making her the woman that she is today. Like, you know, the pain only makes you stronger. All those lines through it. That, that is kind of weird in this era to, to go to that because like abuse is a real thing. It really causes right. people a lot of pain and not everybody is going to come out of it stronger. You know, well, like right. But it, it, it... I'm, I'm not going to deny that at the same time, though, do they really romanticize it too much? I don't know. I don't because they, they, they I it's not a huge issue that I have with it. And no. I, I don't think that they really romanticize it or anything like that. I, I was just they go back on that a lot in this movie, like mm-hmm. those type of lines, like the pain makes me stronger. And then, you know, her smiling as he's hitting her, which I guess mm-hmm. is just to kind of, you know, piss him off. But mm-hmm. um. Yeah, just just kind of like a, a minor thing that stuck out to me. Yeah, I think I think that's a very, very fine line to walk. It using, is using lines like that. And I think uh, they pulled it off pretty well mm-hmm. because something like that could be taken out of context very strikingly. And I mean, Melina says it at the beginning to young Yolina. I mean, it's kind of a throwaway line at first, but then like as as the movie progresses, like we we start to get start to understand this, this is what makes Natasha go. And she doesn't want people to live by that mantra. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she has done so much bad in her life that she doesn't want anyone else to go through that. And mm-hmm. I can't really blame Yelena for being mad at her for not coming back for her after she thought the Red Room was gone. Right. I laid bat- t- tying this back into Tack ma- ta- tac- Master. <laughs> tying this back into Taskmaster. He throws tats at people. <laughs> it's um, arch enemy bulletin board. <laughs> um, tying this back to Taskmaster for a second, I liked that they they tied in Natasha's past to her having to deal with the consequences of that past one on one. That she thought she had killed Drakeoff's daughter, trying to kill Drakeoff, which. That that scene alone is take, almost taken straight from Munich, but it 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 just adds to that red in her ledger that she can't clear out. Yeah, well, and even even things like abandoning Yelena is yeah. part of that red. So we got to see more than just you know before before this film it was the people I've killed as my time as a black widow is my red in the ledger. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like I had a sister mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I abandoned her. I never went back for her. It's just mm-hmm. a whole, a whole bunch of regret that she, you know, starts to resolve in this. So not to mention the really fact cool. that the fact that she did not kill, not did not confirm that Drake was dead. That led to another, who knows how many years of abuse that he, he perpetrated on these women. So her ledger is even bigger without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was all like her own doing too, because I have a feeling they kind of allude to it that you know she didn't want to see um, Drakov's daughter's Antonia's oh, yeah. body in there, right? Like she right. wouldn't want to go in and face that. That's why she wouldn't go in and check. That's why she didn't. That mm-hmm. combined with the whole building exploded, she assumed <laughs> <laughs> she just but, assumed he um, wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so my my thoughts on Taskmaster, I'm definitely like pretty much 100 percent with you. Mm-hmm. I. I had zero issue with going with Drakov's daughter instead of Tony Masters. Um, I don't think for this story that Tony Masters would have worked. No. Um, it was a little bit disappointing to see Taskmaster as kind of just this like brain dead, um, you know, robot warrior <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of. Um, but at the same time, the story is not over with Taskmaster yet. 
No. I mean, Antonia is out in the world going to free other Black Widows, presumably. So there's still a lot of room to tell more of her story and make her more compelling than they were able to in this. You know, like this was, right. this felt to me like an introduction to the character. Like mm-hmm. she barely, she had one line, I think, or two lines. But I I do feel that in this film, they could have done the reveal a bit earlier in some way and, and given a little bit more development to the character. Yeah, I, I don't I think it that. really impacts the film that much. Like no. it worked for where they revealed it. My disappointment is more with like, not getting enough development for Taskmaster. Like she really just had the reveal as her character development in this, mm-hmm. which is fine because like I said, I, I think they'll explore more of that down the road, whether that ends up being um, Thunderbolts. Like you, we obviously we'll talk about it, but mm-hmm. it seems very much that Yelena is part of the Thunderbolts under Val. Mm-hmm. Um, and with her connection now to Taskmaster and Antonia, you you can definitely see how, the Thunderbolts would end up being, um, you know, the next place that we see Taskmaster. Right. So I I didn't have any issue with the changes that they made from the the comics. I saw a lot of people comparing it to what they did to the Mandarin and Iron Man no. three, and it, it's just no. it's not even close to that. Like, it, no. yes, this isn't the true Taskmaster that we've gotten in the comics, and it is a little bit of a bummer that it's not just like natural fighting skill that allows her to copy it. But mm-hmm. for this version, it works. For the MCU, it works. Right. So I I don't have any issue with it, but and I thought the fight scenes were cool with taskmaster i would have liked a little bit more nods to other fighting styles yeah um yeah because we I really think... only get uh who black panther uh hawkeye spider-man cap yep. that's about it yeah I the believe. spider-man one was the coolest for me because the other ones we had seen in the trailers you know right like we'd seen hawkeye we'd seen her shooting a bow we had seen the black panther claws we had seen the cap shield which is obviously kind of like a trademark taskmaster thing mm-hmm. um but the spider-man thing on the bridge fight was really neat <laughs> like almost a very very similar peter parker pose mm-hmm. um he's a poser <laughs> but a uh, very similar pose that was that was kind of cool right oh i mean even uh even black widow's fighting style too yeah yeah oh and we just missed a big one <laughs> mm-hmm. well and we didn't see i don't think in the trailer we saw the bucky knife flip right no that was that was a very obvious <laughs> yeah shot in this one i thought that was cool <laughs> now anytime somebody flips a knife it's just the bucky knife flip. yeah <laughs> but it, it's funny because we had just a couple months ago spoilers seen that in falcon and the winter soldier <laughs> as well like the identical knife flip if bucky only did it once then it wouldn't be the bucky knife flip but he seems to <laughs> definitely like that move <laughs> It, it would have been cool. I would have liked to seen like something with like the door melage. Like at some point he, she has yeah. a spear and, and does some like a, a very distinct stance that the door melage take her. Well, um, would she, she wouldn't know the door melage at this point because Wakanda's not open yet. That's very true. Now that yeah. I think about it, the world wouldn't have seen them, them cause, fight. Cause the only, what we see her watching when they bring the program in is the airport fight from civil yeah. war. Mm-hmm. which would have just happened right yeah well speaking of the placement of this it's really interesting to see that it's set basically between civil war and the civil war post credit scene <laughs> right like yeah. we know that nat gets the quinjet for steve to go and break the avengers out right of the raft 
which is which is cool. I did allude to like over explaining things earlier, and that mostly was the the vest and the hair. <laughs> See the hair. Okay, the hair I get. The At vest, least the vest gave us like a funny joke. Not even a funny joke. It adds a little more meaning to it at this point because she's wearing that vest all throughout infinity war but that's that vest was her sister's she's wearing her sister with her now it metaphorically speaking like she it's a reminder of her sister in one way or another no no it's not like a grand reveal of some sort of information we need to know it's just a little character detail that tells us that she is is still thinking of Yelena at this point right at least that's the way I saw it yeah but I also feel like her sister is out there now like they have a rapport you know like she couldn't she can see her sister especially because she's kind of on the run as well at this point mm-hmm. like I I don't know I I also don't buy that Natasha wouldn't have gone and helped them look for the other widows as well like it seems a little odd to me that she just went yeah. right back with the Avengers. Yeah, that's fair. That's a that's a fair point. Uh, they they put a lot of emphasis in this film of her saying, "Well, if I can fix this situation, I can fix help fix the Avengers." Mm-hmm. So that it it tracks from that perspective that that would be her like focus. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't really understand why they would split at the end completely, at least. Presumably, I mean, we we don't really know how how many times over the next X amount of years that Natasha and Yelena met up. Right. I mean, for all we know, Yelena didn't get blipped. Yeah, we, and they, there's they no were, way to tell. And they saw each other in between the events of Infinity War and, and Endgame. So, what were your what were your thoughts on Alexia Molina? I really liked their characters in a vacuum, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, I liked the jokes. I thought Alexi was hilarious. I thought Melina was a good combination of like stern, sinister, and like occasionally lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, they, she did a lot to differentiate herself from Alexi, and they acted very, very differently. <laughs> but still, you, they had good chemistry together, and all four of them had great chemistry together. Um, the part that doesn't hold up as well for me is the role that they played in the abuse of Natasha and Yelena. Like I, I just thought their characters were a little too lighthearted for what they put those girls through. Like the culmination of the, the cold open and the flashback mm-hmm. where we have Alexi talking to them as they get drugged and taken away to the red room, I thought was, it just felt kind of uh, disheartening to see him play that role in their in their abuse. And they, they do address it a little bit later, um, but they never really dwell too much on Melina's role that she continued to play with the Red Room and abusing all these other women and contributing to the mind control and not in a like a double agent sense either. Like, I think we're meant to assume that seeing Natasha and Yelena again humanized her a little bit and made her want to take down the red room but i'm not sure what she was waiting for and she clearly showed pride in her work and being able to like make that pig stop breathing well okay if i can push back a little bit here um so if we're looking at this in kind of like the system as a whole and the system of abuse um 
Melina is somebody that is was born into this abusive system for and that's all she knows. She addresses that that I was yeah. born into this. I was a rat. I was a mouse in a cage and running on that wheel. That is literally all I knew. I was mm-hmm. went through the red room four times. So when it was my time to like come up, I just kept going, just moving on the status quo. That is what I know. Um, so when Natasha finally says, but you're not, <laughs> or I'm sorry, I should back up when Elena comes out and says, you guys were my family. I knew nothing else other than you. And as you as my dad, you as my mom, you as my sister. And that was taken away from me. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it clicks that they realize the pain and suffering that they caused on these girls that Melina realizes that I really screwed up that I see it on somebody's face right now that Mm -hmm. I ruined this person's life. Yeah. But I just still feel like she went from giddy about doing the mind control to feeling terribly bad and taking down the red room so quickly (laughs) that like, if we're meant to believe that she didn't regret anything until that moment, until she sees it on her face and that's the way that it's played, then it doesn't really hold up as well for me. I I just felt like the turn having her turn evil made more sense to me in turning them in like that, that tracked well that to the point where like when they did the switch, I, I think that's where the, the third act started to lose a bit of steam for me. Um, just because I didn't buy her nice side. <laughs> like she was acting as their mother and maybe she cared a little bit deep down, but at the same time, like in their adult years, that that was a three year span. And presumably they would have done that with other girls before, mm-hmm. you know, and like lived as double agents and other ways before as well. Um, so I just didn't think that they really had a right to, you know, I don't think Melina specifically had a right to really inject herself back into that family, <laughs> even though she was accepted by them. It almost felt a little bit like Stockholm syndrome on the part of Yelena and Natasha. Cause I mean, she, Natasha knew the whole time they were double agents as kids, mm-hmm. but so, she couldn't do anything she, as a child. Yeah. But she's still like, if Melina was a decent human, you would see that on the child's face. You know, like that, that you would know that you're ruining that kid's life. You wouldn't have to wait for them to be an adult well, you, to see it and understand it. Don't forget, she didn't want to leave Ohio at the beginning. Uh-huh. She pulls Alexi aside and says, I don't want to go back. And then Alexi basically forces them back. So, yeah. I mean, I it's hard to talk about this issue in a very black and white way. Yeah. <laughs> so to say Melina should, at least to me to say Melina should turn even more evil or if she should turn completely good. All of these people, even the Elena, they're all broken in one way or another. They're they've all perpetuated the system of abuse that Drake off is like, mm-hmm. has put on these, on, on these women for years without knowing it. I mean, Natasha knows it, but can't do anything about it. And it's not until like she realizes that she didn't actually complete the job that she realizes that it's still going on and she wants to finish the job finally. So I think what they're trying to get at is just how culpable all of these people are. It's not necessarily that they're good or they're bad. It's have they, how much red is in their ledger and how much are they willing to, except as consequences of their actions. Yeah. 
I and no, they're never going to be completely forgiven for what they've done. I mean, Alexi in this is a complete deadbeat dad, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but for Natasha to outright say to Melina, you're a coward. I mean, she's not wrong, but at the same time, if Melina knew nothing but this this system until she was put in a place in Ohio where that doesn't exist, then she knew another new yeah she knew no other life those few years this three years they were in ohio she started to, to develop another life but but as soon as the option to leave came up she felt like she had no other option right so she's just as culpable but i can't fully blame her for reverting back to her old ways yes but i i also feel like she's so dangerous like the knowledge that she has and the villainous role that she played up until Natasha met her in her house shouldn't have resulted in Natasha like covering for her and letting her walk free at the end. Like I I just, I just feel like she still had a lot to answer for like that. Just those three years playing the, the mother role for them shouldn't have, shouldn't have overshadowed. Like she has all this dangerous knowledge. She knows the technology for mind control if she wants to, to mind control people like that there's just so much trust in melina from natasha and yelena that they're just able to let her walk free after all she's been doing over the last you know couple of decades 20 years yeah i do I, I get where you're coming from um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fully disagree with that i i definitely see where where you're coming from in, in the sense that she had done this for so long that. Yeah that there's almost too much to be forgiven for. Yeah. I mean, we've seen so, less, we've seen less guilty villains go down hard in MCU, right? Like, I don't know. Adrian Toomes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spidey put him in jail. <laughs> just for wanting the only to person he killed was shocker number one. Yeah, really just for wanting to, pro- to protect his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right to jail. <laughs> protect your daughter right to jail, jail. <laughs> it's one of the best parts and red bits out, <laughs> out there um yeah i just i think that just me personally i think that they've all perpetuated the system to the point where they're all sort of unforgivable in a sense and they just have to deal with whatever they can make up for they're not always going to be mm-hmm. considered the good people or the bad yeah. people they're all four of them are in a very gr- very gray area uh i mean mm-hmm. at one point yelena just calls <laughs> calls natasha out and says at least i'm not the killer that little girls call call their hero yeah that was a good line mm-hmm. that part of me one part of me thought i want to see a whole movie dedicated to that but we do see that right here Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all like all four of these characters have so much baggage with them that we as fans consider them heroes, but in reality, they're not. They're just people. I mean, that's what makes Black Widow one of the more relatable characters is amongst uh, a billionaire, a god, a, a Jekyll and Hyde, and a super soldier. <laughs> She's yeah. like the most grounded as a Mm -hmm. human i mean you see whenever she's changing in the apartment in budapest that she has bruises all over her yeah and she has to take ibuprofen 
Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> Unlike Thor. Do you Thor. think a god? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think a god has to? God from space. I know we're kind of working backwards here at this point. What do you what do you think of that uh, that intro sequence? Um the the opening credits or the flashback? Um let's go with both. Both? Um I thought they both worked really well. I liked that we didn't see a ton of the flashback sequence in the mm-hmm. trailers. Like mm-hmm. the entire plane action scene wasn't in the trailer at all. And I thought that was a really cool action scene. Was any of it? Um, there were some shots of Natasha as a kid. Okay. That's about it. Um, just like in the house and nothing, nothing major, none of mm-hmm. the action sequences. But I, I thought, you know, showing clearly that Alexi is a super soldier <laughs> <laughs> off the bat by flipping that truck was, was great. Um, I thought the, the plane takeoff scene was really intense and seeing that through the perspective of the kids was really intense. Mm-hmm. Like after Melina got shot and Natasha had to basically steer the plane and take off right. with her coaching her through. It was pretty, pretty intense, even though we know the outcome just still framing it from Natasha's perspective just made it really like horrifying to watch. Right. Like, putting yourself in her shoes. And then the, the opening credits, um, Part of me felt like it was a little cheesy, mostly because of the cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit. That was a little right. much. It it works well though. Um, lyrically and you know, the, the point of the song. I just it felt a little like a trailer to me. <laughs> like you know how trailers always have moody versions of more hardcore songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I, I thought the opening credits as a whole was really effective and the shots that they used of Drakov getting the girls from storage crates and talking about the defective ones. And like, man, that was, it was real. It almost felt like you were watching like a human trafficking documentary, right? Like, and that's what they're going for. Yeah. So um, the, the piece that oh. didn't work that well for me was showing him with world leaders. I just, like, we, we understand by watching this, that he's powerful. I don't, I don't think we needed to see that. It just felt a little, um, uh, not to use the word cheesy again, but that's what it, it felt like a bit to me. Just just that piece. But I, I thought all the, the scenes of Drakov actually running the operation were really effective. And it was cool to get an opening credits for a Marvel movie because we don't get that. No. So <laughs> I wonder uh, if that's going to be a theme with Phase 4. I wonder if we're going to get that more often or if it's just a, a choice for this because it really worked well to fill in a lot of the the backstory for the Widow program and give people a good sense of what what this was like for these kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to push back again a little bit. Um, Fine. What? Fine. <laughs> so I, at first I was on the same boat as you of, this is kind of cheesy. I don't, this is, I kept thinking this is a hell of a choice to put a smells like teen spirit cover on here. Yeah. And I don't understand what's going on, but I, I keep falling back on this. On the Bond argument, this it's is a song. this is the Bond song. <laughs> there is no accident that this is a spy thriller, and they put a pop song cover at yeah. the be- with very uh, very intricate uh, designs and very intricate images at the beginning. I don't yeah. think I don't think that this is going to be a Phase Four theme or theme or re- regular occurrence or, or occurrence, but. I, I liked this choice the more and I think about it. And the I think putting Nirvana's version of Smells Like Teen Spirit would have been really uh uh what's a good word? 
off-putting uh, really off-putting and oh, out of it, place it totally would not have worked at all no not at all um it would have been really uh gouchy if that's even a word i don't know yeah it would have been too if it's too a word silly. it sounds perfect to describe it <laughs> um, you don't know what gen z is saying these days so who knows uh but i really liked this cover uh it's by an artist by malia J. I decided to go listen to the rest of her discography. She only has like four or five other songs out and they're all covers in like the same manner, style, style manner. They're very haunting and very uh, dep- kind of depressing. And it kind of adds a different meaning to all of these songs. Uh, I, from what I've read and understood, she did a cover of Buffalo Springfields for what it's worth. And Ooh. it was used in the handmaid's tale. Oh, okay. so interesting. So I don't, again, I don't think any of this is an accident of who they're choosing to do what, uh, given the themes of this movie, it, I don't think it's an accident. They chose somebody who did a cover for that show. Even casting OT fed Benley doesn't seem like an accident either, uh, given he's a character in there. But, um, I, first of all, first of all, Kurt Cobain himself was a feminist. Mm-hmm. Second of all, these are really nonsensical lyrics and it was always meant to be that way but her the way she performs it and the songs written and produced it gives a very dark and haunting undertone and especially over those opening credits Mm -hmm. not to mention the the song itself is something that young natasha would have listened to given given her age Uh, so it fits the time period and at the same time uh, this was like a Gen X anthem, given that Scarlett Johansson is like an elder millennial. Natasha would con- technically be considered an elder millennial. This would be like an anthem for her. At the same time, what is going on in the, in the Red Room? But they're removing the teenage angst and emotions that most teenagers would have at that point in their lives. Yeah. So to play a song called Smells Like Teen Spirit while they're removing the teen spirit. That's true. Gives this weird double darker double meaning to it that I think makes it work makes it work very perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, I definitely agree with that. That reasoning makes a lot of sense. I just think it doesn't work as well if you don't think that deeply about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe, start- maybe, maybe if it do- for the people that it doesn't work for right there, maybe they do think deeply about it and then it works, you know, like you wonder <laughs> why they selected it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the general audience probably just enjoyed it and that was mm-hmm. it. But, um, I think where it what made it stick out to me as you know, cheesy, like I said earlier, was really that combined with the the photoshopping of Drakov with Bill Clinton. It's like there's this moody cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit and then just kind of this goofy Photoshop of it. Yeah. Like we get it. He's a powerful man. Like obviously to pull pull off this and read lead the red room, it's it has to take somebody with a lot of influence and power to be able not, to hide that. Not to mention, I mean, putting him with Bill Clinton and and Putin give him uh sort of this predatory like vibe already given mm-hmm. not not to go into politics or talk about candidate uh, or president's histories but given some of the allegations that are out there about clinton and even putin's treatment of alleged treatment of women uh it isn't like 
it's not hard to connect the dots on that one. Right. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I I really liked getting the opening credits. I was happy we got that. And mm-hmm. it, it was definitely weird at the end of the film when they did not see the closing credits. <laughs> right. Yeah, it just went straight to the, the typical, you know, black scrolling credits. Um, that was definitely weird. What action sequence was your favorite in the film? I, oh, I need to think about that. For me, it, was, it I think it was the car chase, the, the Budapest action. Budapest, I'm sorry, <laughs> action. I thought it was really well done. It was a very exciting car chase. Some good fight scenes in the subway with Natasha and Yelena sliding down the uh, the escalator mm-hmm. <laughs> and Taskmaster following them. Um, it did get a little ridiculous with like the tank driving through the streets, but I mean, we watch, we watch these movies for the ridiculous, right? <laughs> I mean, um, I've it's seen, hard I... not to think about like the Sokovia Accords at a time like this when <laughs> like there's a tank driving down the streets of Budapest. <laughs> this is why this is important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're only proving them right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, not to mention uh, they drop a, a satellite from the sky to the middle of a field that. Uh, I think the Sokovia Accords might have an, the UN might have an issue with, um, I will say, uh, that ending bat or that ending fight scene to me, it, there's so many good ideas in it, but it just, the CGI and it looked so bad throughout the entire thing that I, I could, the, it took me out the of flight, it. The falling from the sky scene. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like a PS4, like, uh, <laughs> It felt like a, almost like an anime fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like kind the of. way that, like, I don't know, these they're like falling and sliding among this debris as it's falling from the sky. It's just it it was a little weird. Mm-hmm. It felt like it lasted longer than like a fall from the sky without a parachute would last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, I I we suspend our disbelief so much for these, but it still it still was. A little weird given I mean, Natasha's just like a normal human and jumped out after her sister without a parachute. And I mean, I have seen from just coming off of the Fast and Furious binge, <laughs> I have seen cars skydiving out of the sky. I have seen people take a tank hand or head on. Uh, I have seen people fly across bridges like human beings fly across bridges. And I have seen a Pontiac Ferrero in space drive into a satellite and nobody was injured so anything is on the table for me now like like anything like action in this is like below the belt (laughs) yeah well i think that that kind of highlights one of my biggest problems with the final action scene is that everyone lived (laughs) almost it's like this entire base exploded and only the bad guys died. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, that's that's reasonable. I like eh. like I, I definitely exp- it made the stakes of the whole thing. Looking back on it, just seem a little flimsy. Again, I go back to the stakes, but it's like you, you know going in that Yelena's going to survive. You know that Natasha's going to survive, and you can look past that because you can you can you know live in their shoes. But for Taskmaster, Red Guardian, and Melina to all live. And I'm assuming they have other stories they want to tell with all of those characters. Yeah. But at the same time, it felt like they were kind of destined for like a sacrifice play, like at least Yelena or or Alexi or not Yelena, uh, Melina or Alexi were kind of 
on track for that sacrifice play to, you know, really make up for their past sins. And that didn't happen. And it is kind of a trope to do that. So I understand it, but it was just so convenient that falling from the sky, only the bad guys blew up and died. I think, I think if Molina would have, would have died in that explosion, I think it would have fixed the problem you have with Mm -hmm. her character of, um, giving up or being in a position of power and leading people into the system unknowingly for so long that I think that her making the sacrifice play might've helped in that case. Um, Mm -hmm. I also thought Antonio wasn't going to make it out, but then I realized, wait, the fans are going to flip even more if taskmaster dies. And I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, I, I think for my favorite action scene, I have to go with that opening sequence with the plane. That was just mm. so not to say it was cool or it was original, yeah. but it, you could just feel like obviously there was the whole movie ahead of us. So we knew what was going to come, but like the way it's it's edited, the way that um, we see shield, a.k.a. Hydra in this case coming after them, mm-hmm. that it just it felt like it up the states a little bit of um, of them trying to escape. Yeah. I mean, for all we knew, That's for all we know, pick. for all we know, they don't make it out and they're undercover as Hydra the whole time. But um, yeah, I would have to go with that opening plane sequence. Speaking of uh, Hydra, it was pretty hard for me to ignore um, some of the parallels between this and Captain America, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> um, it's pretty obvious. So I, I wrote up a, uh, a bit of like a synopsis a spoiler synopsis for this film that if you read it thinking about captain america the winter soldier it lines up pretty much perfectly Uh, so i'll i'll read through that um and then jared you can give me your, your thoughts at the end um so our hero and their eventual successor are involved in a heart wrenching conflict against an organization they thought they had vanquished that has infiltrated and influenced various governments and organizations throughout the world during the conflict our hero comes to battle with a mysterious trained assassin under control of the political head of the reborn organization. As it turns out, the assassin is revealed to be a ghost from our hero's past who our (laughs) hero believed to be killed in the previous conflict. After some face swapping shenanigans involving black widow in a control room meant to deceive the head of the shadowy organization, our hero plummets from an airborne base as it crashes down all around them. The hero has saved the day and the assassin while still struggling with their own past walks away free. Finally, our hero regroups in a graveyard and looks over a file containing the details of their next target. It's hard to ignore. Like it's I, so hard to ignore. With Drakov, I, I definitely got more sinister, um, you know, Robert Redford vibes. You know. Well, the thing, the, the difference is, uh, like Ray. There Winston, are absolutely differences. I don't mean to say yeah. they copied this, you know, beat for beat or anything like that. There's the plot it's a very is high level. I, I wouldn't even say beat for beat. Like there are just a lot of um, coincidences. Yeah. And similarities. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think that's an accident either. I think referencing the winter soldier, even like outright saying the name, the winter soldier program in this, mm-hmm. that's no accident that they're kind of trying to go back to that. I mean, it's a, it's a spy thriller still. I mean, yeah. the winter soldier was based off of seventies political spy thrillers. This is more of an action spy thriller. Um, 
the Winter Soldier would be in the same vein as like the Parallax View or maybe the maybe the French Connection or um, I'm missing a big one here, <laughs> but um, and this is more in the vein of we've been saying this, but Bond, Mission Impossible, maybe the Fast and Furious, the later ones. Um, so yeah, it's they all tend to follow that same formula and it, it works. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like your, your parallels here. That's a, it's a good Some call of the, uh, particularly with like the Natasha graveyard. fooling the, well, the graveyard oh, yeah. thing, the <laughs> Natasha fooling the, the head of the organization with like the same face swap technology, the parallels <laughs> between taskmaster and his past with her past with Natasha mm-hmm. and Bucky's past with Steve being the trained mysterious assassin no granted, no, that one wasn't that was much less of a mystery because everyone knew going in what was happening <laughs> but uh, no, no granted steve didn't try and kill bucky but yeah <laughs> it's still somebody from his past that yes. has come um, back yeah and then the graveyard scene of course with you know <laughs> in the winter soldier there's um cap and and sam meeting at um, Fury's quote-unquote grave <laughs> um, <laughs> where they look at you know file pertaining to Bucky's information and then the graveyard scene in Natasha's grave that we get in this with um, Yelena and Val and looking at the, the dossier for Clint basically. Which we should um, get into here. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit about that post-credit scene. What are your thoughts? I, I like it. Uh, the second time I saw it, I, I walked out. I had I before that happened like i i'd seen on it i, yeah, all I yeah. needed to see it, it's a pretty straightforward one mm-hmm. um you and i both said this after our first viewing that the um that we wish val was not in falcon and the winter soldier i don't i don't wish she wasn't in there but or, i wish they hadn't revealed it in the yeah, variety article it. that she that's was it. in this because the right after her appearance in falcon and the winter soldier Right. There was an article on Variety that says, oh, she was meant to show up in Black Widow first. And then you and I kind of were like, well, there's oh, our post credit scene. Right. <laughs> right. No, like, you're right. I, I misspoke when I said that we didn't want her in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you knew what I was trying to say, though. But yep. Yep. no, I, I completely agree that the, that should have been taken out of that interview or Dreyfus shouldn't have said anything uh, mm-hmm. like, or been like real, real coy about her. Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to show up again. Yeah. But apparently, like when she was on the set of Veep, like all the stars were saying she couldn't keep her mouth shut about anything. <laughs> <laughs> like she was so excited to, to do this role. Um, yeah. I mean, the Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers confirmed? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, at the very least, what we know right now is Val has recruited John Walker for mm-hmm. something and recruited Yelena as an assassin. Um, and seemingly she's already taken targets out for Val and has already been employed by Val. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting twist. I, I expected her I expected almost a dark mirror of the um, Iron Man post credit scene with Fury recruiting him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but this was like, yeah, I've already been working with you. So that that makes me think, looking back on it, that um that we don't know exactly when this post credit scene is is uh taking place, but it makes me think Yelena wasn't blipped to come into service of Val so quickly right. after the events of Endgame. It seems right. like, you know, that would have had to have been established over a longer period of time. So um, I think there's room to tell her story there. I, I'm i very curious of, 
about how Val has this intel about what went on during the time heist. Like, is that <laughs> is that public knowledge? Did she know that Clint was, you know, not responsible for Nat's death, but involved in it, or at least, at the very least, you know, it was kind of one or the other at that point that was going to die. She seemingly knows that. Um, I just wonder how much of an antagonistic role that Yelena is actually going to play in the Hawkeye series, or if she's just going to, you know, after a brief skirmish and a conversation with Clint kind of flip sides. I've been thinking about that. And I think, I don't think she's, she's going to be a main antagonist of the Hawkeye series. No, she, I think she'll, she may be recurring throughout it and be like a secondary villain that keeps popping up every once Mm -hmm. in a while. Um, and she would actually be a pretty good mirror for Kate Bishop too. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. um, but I I have the same question of how much of Vormir is public knowledge, and at yeah. the same time, who believes it? Right, that <laughs> the two secret agents shipped off to a distant planet where they fought a not, or they had to convince a Nazi to give them a stone. And one of them had to sacrifice themselves to get it. You know, that that honestly is a very interesting <laughs> angle to take with the Hawkeye show and could could kind of inform how that plot takes off is like the only person who actually knows what happened on Vormir is Clint. Mm-hmm. And like we know, I'm sure the Avengers believe him, mm-hmm. but how much the, the general public, public knows him. are they going to? They <laughs> know people disappeared. On- you know, I guarantee at some point, if it hasn't it, already, it will. His his time as Ronan will be public. At oh, some yeah. Point. Like, and that's going to ruin his reputation. The man's a straight up serial killer. <laughs> we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Matt Fraction Hawkeye run. But a big part of that run is Clint protecting his reputation, basically. Okay. Like the, some shady things happened that were caught on tape and... You know, they're trying to, to prevent that from leaking out. Um, it's much more complicated than that because it's the <laughs> comics. But mm-hmm. um, but essentially, that's a big part of that run. And that seems to be a huge inspiration for the show. So, you know, could could someone have video proof of him as Ronan? It looked kind of like he was wearing the Ronan gear and the iPad that Val handed to Yelena. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe there is footage of that and it led to Clint kind of being a little bit on the run and kind of not really publicly an Avenger anymore, which would result in the world not really believing him. So maybe that's just the common knowledge is that Clint is responsible for Nat's death. You know what I mean? Right. That could just be the narrative that's out there in the world. And Val has, you know, adopted that herself. Um, just or how, Clint how do- as Ronan took out some of Val's people and she wants revenge for that. I don't and she just doesn't know about Vormir at all. But I, mm-hmm. I think I think she has to know something. Like she has yeah. connections all I over the so. place that she has to know that something happened. And I, I wonder we talked about this in our Falcon and Winter Soldier episodes a lot, that how much does Ross have on this team? She how much influence does Ross have on this team that she's building? Is this the Thunderbolts nine. or is this the, the Dark Avengers? I think it'll be the Thunderbolts, um, but I really don't think Ross has a hand at this point. I think we would have seen because I feel more like of a connection in this film with Ross being here. 
you know, there are, I will say some things that maybe would prevent Ross from showing up. He, William Hurt himself isn't in great health. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they kind of write that off in this by talking about his bypass surgery, the character yeah, he, bypass he wasn't, surgery. He wasn't he looking look good. good. Mm -mm. I thought he, um, it there are like also he lost some, a lot of weight. There are also some um, sexual assault or sexual harassment allegations against him. You're right. So I forgot about. I those. don't think they'll go with that route. I think he's getting up there a bit in age to where mm -hmm. they're not going to do like, you know, the Red Hulk thing, at least with him. No, I, I never thought they were um, going to do Red Hulk with him. And I, I, I really think if they were going to have him play an actual part in the Thunderbolts, that they would they would have uh, done more groundwork for his character, his character's part in that in this film. But I do think we're basically going towards some sort of Thunderbolts type Dark Avengers hybrid. I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Dark Avengers a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes me think Thunderbolts, on the other hand, is Val isn't assembling villains. No. It's just these like complicated characters that are a little bit lost in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Like they're looking for a place and she's going to kind of morph them into villains. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes me really think about Dark Avengers is it almost seems like she's building mirrors to that original Avengers team. Like right. we have the cap amount, um, we have the cap equivalent in cap John equivalent Walker. In John Walker, the Black Widow equivalent in Yelena. Um, if she somehow makes an appearance in Shang-Chi with the Abomination, there's our Hulk mm -hmm. equivalent. Um, you know, Justin Hammers out there could play an Iron Man equivalent. Um, I'd say him and Zemo combined would be like a yeah, like, like the an rich, Iron Man equivalent. The, the the funding of the team, <laughs> right? Um, and then you know, if they we've talked a little bit about spoilers for Loki. I know that's an ongoing series right now. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about the potential of um, Sylvie. Oh yeah, as the Enchantress being a part of that, and there's like the Asgardian Thor equivalent, right? Um, so I'm not you know, gonna lie, I'm gonna be pretty disappointed if if that ends up being a post credit scene for Loki. No, I feel like that, that just, won't be. I feel like that would just undercut a ton of what that show is already yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, um, and spoilers for Loki here. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them potentially building some sort of some sort of parallel. Mm -hmm to the original six Avengers. Um, and that could be really interesting. You know, we've theorized a lot about the young Avengers being a team that could pop up as well. So having them, you know, fight this dark Avengers team or the Thunderbolts, whatever they end up being could be. Yeah. Could that be would cool. be interesting. That would be really be fun cool. to watch. Yeah. I just wonder, cause I mean, I don't see Walker being used in the same way that Val's using Yelena, just like going out and assassinating people. Cause it seems like he, wouldn't really be keen for that you know like he wouldn't want to do that in the same way that yelena might because yelena maybe she just fell back on what she knows right yeah um but walker is more complicated <laughs> in what he's after so yeah because i mean we've, we've talked about this but walker just wants a title and like just wants the yeah. name and the recognition well yelena just wants to find a place for herself in the world now mm -hmm. that presumably at this point i'm assuming the scene in the graveyard with val takes place present day like yep i would so guess at least would around the time of like far from home yeah so i would assume that 
they have freed at her Alexi and Melina have and the rest of the widows that they freed at the end of this movie have freed the majority, if not most, of the widows that are out there currently. And for some reason, whether it's to whether it's to fund her her mission to continue on with that, she falls back on her roots to work for Val to get that. I mean, she talked about wanting to get paid more for it, but I'm wondering, that's an interest. Now that I say it out loud, that's an interesting idea of, I want to continue this mission, but I might not be able to afford to do it. So, and this person's willing to pay me to help free these women. Yeah, that could definitely be a part of it. And I mean, maybe it's, maybe Yelena's kind of like a double agent type thing, right? Like maybe, like you said, she's using Val as a means to an end that Mm -hmm. Val probably has ulterior motives well we'll know for sure once yelena dies at the end of phase seven and uh the the prequel movie black widow that in between set in between the post credits scene of this and uh shang chi <laughs> that will fill in the gaps for us at kick off phase eight <laughs> we'll be we'll have walkers at the too. theater at that point. <laughs> yeah hopefully they have they're on a better power grid for that one <laughs> oh we didn't in our, we didn't talk in our spoiler review about the exact moment that cut out and it was oh literally after the taskmaster reveal yeah so it was like he revealed it was his daughter and then the power just died yeah it we was are, like we sat with that for like a half hour waiting <laughs> to see what happened next and I, I think that for me that definitely affected my enjoyment of the third act to where it just like <laughs> it just completely completely takes you out of it like mm-hmm. it was like we had an intermission like <laughs> It's weird. And the power went out for the whole theater. So naturally everyone left their seats and went out to the, to get snacks. So we couldn't even do that right. without waiting in line. And then you'd had no idea how long it was going to be out. So, yeah, well, I, I stood up to go to the bathroom at one point and I heard somebody on the watch, you know, it would be another five minutes. It was another 20 minutes yeah. after that. Well, and the, the audio kept coming back on, but not the screen. Half of the lights in the theater would go dim then they'd come back up and then the other half would go dim and then they'd come back home. And it was just like, I was really, yeah, I don't know how it's that chaotic. Like, I don't know what complicated and convoluted controls are. It wasn't even, it wasn't even storming because everyone thought, Oh boy, the storm must be really bad out there. And somebody walked out and said, it's not even raining. Yeah. (laughs) So who knows what happened? (laughs) Yeah. I was about to just, you know, buy the premiere access and pull it up on my phone and, and project it. it up onto the screen. Just yell out the rest of the lines for the, the rest of the movie yards. <laughs> oh no, I can't believe Natasha's dead at the end. <laughs> I wonder how many people were actually confused a little bit by that. Like if, if someone came in without seeing Endgame, because it definitely was jarring, because that's the only time in the movie they reference her death. Do they though? Oh, oh, you mean the oh, post credits scene? Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pe- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Except I, I feel like at this point that if you're going into Black Widow, you're caught up. Yeah. To some degree, I know some people like my brother hasn't watched Ta- or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so he didn't understand the Val cameo at the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that not to say that's a hindrance on the movie as a whole because you could watch this whole thing without that post credit scene. But I think that's one thing that annoyed me a little bit is because they just outright introduced her in 
in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then here, you're just kind of expected to know who she is at this point. I understand that this was supposed to come out first. So then we start to question, who is that? Then we get the reveal in Falcon. But I don't know. It may be the release of this as a whole just is a uh, when it's been released weird. It, it that's what detra- that's one of the things that detracts it for me maybe after some time has passed my feelings on that will change once we get more information yeah i i almost wonder too if they had more of an introductory scene in maybe. this as the post credits and then edited it after falcon and the winter soldier so they didn't introduce her twice and kind of did vice versa for maybe falcon and the winter soldier because if you if you watch the scene her introduction scene in falcon and the winter soldier the part where she introduces herself is like the back of walker's head and mm-hmm. her just standing there when she's like saying her full name so i almost wonder if they reshot that maybe. at the end without getting all the actors involved but just bringing in julie louis dreyfus to and and somebody that can yeah, sit as a placeholder for Walker, right? And just just kind of redid that shot, um, yeah. And just just to flip the order around a bit, so from, her actual introduction was when she said her full name. From what I understand, from what I've heard from Florence Pugh, or in interviews where they referenced what she's talked about, that post credit scene was part of reshoots. So you might be right. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was filmed at the beginning of 2020. So it's possible that. That, that once uh, COVID started spreading, they anticipated some sort of shutdown and probably went back and shot a, a, an extra one in, or a, a, this version of it in case this mm-hmm. didn't come out until after Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's just a, something to, to consider. This scene was like, hey, Disney Plus is important. Like yeah. <laughs> them screaming at you like, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to know where she's from? Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You want to know where she's going next? Hawkeye. Want to know where those are? Disney Plus. Disney Plus. <laughs> like, it, it's awesome. I love it because it, it right off the bat is like, hey, this thing that happened in this show is taken directly from Disney Plus, and the next thing that happens with Yelena's story is going to be on Disney Plus. Like, I'm I'm happy that they're really committing to, you know, the two way interaction between the series and the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the uh, it's not the Netflix series and Agents of Shield all over no. again, where the shows reference what happened in the movies, but the movies don't acknowledge what happened in the shows. Exactly. Uh, I will say I did see that uh, Charlie Cox wants a cross a crossover with Daredevil and Black Widow now in a Good. sequel. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. So. I mean, I've said a lot of what I have to say about this movie. I have a lot more thoughts, but we've been going at this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you can kind of figure where my thoughts are going. The fact that this this is essentially a Bond movie, and that's what made me fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, where would you say this falls in your reign? Or I guess I should before I should ask that, what are your, some of your closing thoughts? Um, so like I, I mentioned, I think this is kind of a... Uh... A middle tier MC, MCU movie, which means it's very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, I thought it was very entertaining start to finish. The chemistry between the actors was superb as it always is. Like the casting decisions were just on point. Mm-hmm. Marvel very much lucked out in casting Florence Pugh when they did. <laughs> right. Really like around the time she got casted, she just exploded in Hollywood. Right. Um, 
And it's awesome because you know she's based on that and based on her performance in this, she's going to have a big part to play in the MCU. And I'm I'm excited. So it, it was fun to see see this story. It was long overdue. And I wish it had come sooner. Yeah. So I, I guess one more question I forgot to ask. What were some of your favorite Easter Easter eggs? Um, I think my two favorite one would would have been expanding on the Drakov's daughter line from um, Loki and Avengers one. Okay. And my other favorite one is definitely um, Taskmaster swinging like Spider Man. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Yeah. How about okay. yours? Um, I have a couple. Um, one is I don't know if you noticed in the background, but in the in their house in Ohio, Ducktales is playing in the background. Oh, <laughs> what what better way to indoctrinate Russian children than with Ducktales? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, one, um, another one uh, is Ursa. When mm. Alexei is in prison, he sits down to talk, and Ursa is the one that calls him out. Yeah, and that's um. It's a comments reference to another uh, super soldier who was part of like a, a Russian Guardians team, um, mm-hmm. and the uh, what does what does Yelena call Alexei? Oh, the Crimson Dynamo. Your Crimson Crimson Dynamo. That's another yeah. great Easter egg too. Uh-huh. Of well, it's not Crimson Dynamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of like all these little references to uh, that basically call out Alexei's BS stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say though that the him constantly talking about fighting Cap, I mean, I bought it as some bullshit at first, but I heard a good theory that it's possible he did fight a version of Cap in the eighties. Isaiah Bradley? No, it wouldn't have been Isaiah Bradley because he would have been yeah, in jail. Been in prison. It yeah. would have been. Um, it would have been just another version of Cap because it's possible that the government used another version of Captain America during that time. So he might not be wrong. Yeah. I also saw theories that uh, that it was really Steve Rogers when he was traveling <laughs> through time to return the stones and when he was living out his whole life. I also saw a theory it was old man cap back in like 2018 <laughs> or like whenever he came back from or whenever he came back and was still in like his 70s. But that it's it, I think it's either it was another cap or it was. Um, or he's just BS. making this up. Yeah. I think it's just BS. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty. Those are pretty good lines, and I don't think they would just give like a whole time travel arc a like a throwaway joke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we um we never even talked about the prison break sequence. Um, I, it, did they it, kill everybody in that jail? <laughs> I, think, I think. I think. And then they laughed it off and just flew away. Called them d bads and rode off. Like, geez, like. Some of those guards were just there to like feed their families. Like, <laughs> not all prisoners are violent. They just like sentence them all to die in Well, I don't know. That was like that was like a gulag. Yeah, so I don't. I guess that's true. They're either political opponents or they're uh, exactly. extremely dangerous. <laughs> yeah, political opponents doesn't. And I, I love the death I, sentence. I love the yeah, really. I love the gag of. <laughs> Oh, we'll make it to St. Petersburg, no problem. And then it just, the plane yes. just crashes immediately. That was the funniest moment of the movie for me. It, <laughs> it was a, a wonderful cut. <laughs> like, immediate. I, I cracked up at that. That was really good. Um, but, oh, another another little Easter egg I didn't even think about until the second time I watched it. When they're in the Budapest 
I like how we we're starting to call it that now. When yep. they're in the Budapest <laughs> uh, apartment, uh, Yelena says, "What kind of bullets make those?" Mm. And they're actually arrow holes from yeah. cl- from when Clinton and Natasha stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost want like a Clinton Natasha solo movie of that whole, or like a short film of that Budapest. I thought when they initially announced this movie, that's what it was going to be. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think it does they, sound there, like it at there first. were rumors of this film kicking around for a long time before they ever confirmed like what the plot was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy we got this because it did a lot more to set up for the the future than that could have. But yeah, um, still, that that is something that would be really interesting to see. Plus, we do get a, uh, a, a Jeremy Renner cameo just in the earpiece. Yeah. Yep, we do. Yeah. Um, so where does this fit in your rankings? Would you say? So let me, uh, let me just go through my rankings, um, right now, one to 25, and then I'll tell you oh, where this 26th Marvel studios property lands. <laughs> okay. Um, number one, Avengers infinity war, number two, Avengers Endgame. number three, guardians of the galaxy, number four, captain America, civil war. Number five, Black Panther. Number six, Thor Ragnarok. Number seven, The Avengers. Number eight, WandaVision. Number nine, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number 10, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Number 11, Spider-Man and Far From Home. Number 12, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number 13, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Number 14, Iron Man. Number 15, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number 16, Captain Marvel. Number 17, Doctor Strange. Number 18, Iron Man 3. Number 19, Ant-Man. Number 20, Captain America, the first Avenger. Number 21, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Number 22, Iron Man 2. Number 23, Thor. Number 24, Thor, the Dark World. And number 25, the Incredible Hulk. So where I currently have Black Widow slotted is at number 15. Oh, wow. Right after Iron Man and right before Avengers Age of Ultron. So right between those two. So 14 Iron Man, 15 Black Widow, 16 Avengers Age of Ultron. Wow. That's it. That's great. That's interesting. Yep. So I will go uh, 26 up. Uh, Yeah, I'll go 26 up. So... 26 Thor of the Dark World, 25 Ant Man and the Wasp, 24 Ant Man 2, or I'm sorry, Iron Man 2, 23. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, it's down there. 23 The Incredible Hulk, 22 Thor, the first Thor, 21 Captain America, the first Avenger, 20 Doctor Strange, 19 Captain Marvel, 18 Avengers Age of Ultron, 17 Ant Man, 16 The First Guardians of the Galaxy, 15 Falcon and the Winter Soldier, 14 The Avengers, 13 Spider Man Far From Home. Uh, 12 Iron Man 3, 11 Avengers Endgame. I screwed up here. Uh, oh, I'm just spoiled. No, it's at my number 10 spot is Black Widow. I uh, oh, you my, were going, it, <laughs> you yeah, already bumped it. I already bumped it. Yeah, I was 10, gonna say when you started with 26. Well, I, I had it in my list and I, I was going through it and I had to like mentally adjust after I hit 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 10, it broke my top 10. Uh, it bumped Endgame down. Uh, Woo. yeah. Uh, so then nine is WandaVision, eight is Infinity War, seven is Iron Man, uh, six is Guardians, volume two, five is Civil War, four is Spider-Man Homecoming, three is Black Panther, two is Ragnarok, and one is Winter Soldier. Um, I think for me, uh, the fact that this is a great solo, essentially one shot, 
really and the fact that it does a lot of um at least to me it does a lot of good in terms of um character development and finding a way to tell its own story without needing to rely on the rest of the universe to uh to back it up is what puts it at number 10 for me not to mention again it's a bond film yeah all right so we think we think pretty highly of it i think overall you know up in the top 15 for me top 10 for you it's pretty good good start to phase four nice little uh comfort food that's kind of what we predicted in our prediction show it would be mcu comfort food and yeah um i think it exceeded the expectations of just being comfort food for me so definitely definitely excited to see what comes next for um our non-titular characters from this <laughs> um because we know what what comes next for our, our primary hero of this which is very sad yeah but definitely excited to see the groundwork they've laid here we'll be back in theaters in under two months for shang chi mm-hmm. and then it is uh, the run of mcu movies yeah you texted me earlier about what we have coming up and yes it's... by by this time next year we will have seen shang chi eternals spider-man no way home doctor strange in the multiverse of madness thor love and thunder and black panther wakanda forever <laughs> So Black Panther Wakanda Forever being the last of that series. And that debuts on July 8th, 2022. So between, all- between now and then, we've got just, a, oh my goodness, an unbelievable run. Starting off with two new, brand new properties. They're going to be really exciting. And then just some wild stuff between No Way Home, Multiverse of Madness, and Love and Thunder. <laughs> Not to mention, we have all of the TV series in between. Yes. So we, will we know be we're coming... getting three more series this year. <laughs> Are you counting what if into that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have what if Hawkeye and what else coming this year? Oh, Miss Marvel. Marvel. Mm-hmm. All coming at once. Oh, my. <laughs> Good time to be a fan. Good time, Good time to, to be, be a fan. fan. And we're not going anywhere. Nope. Um, if you're looking for our Loki coverage, we just recently released our episode five review, uh, Journey into Mystery, and we will be recording the finale uh, tomorrow, right? On yeah, our actual, on the sacred well, timeline. We're recording this Tuesday, well, now Wednesday morning, because we've crossed midnight. Yeah, it drops um, in two hours, which yeah means two hours left to be on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll be dropping our Loki coverage. We're actually going to do try and do that one in person first and see how that turns out. Yeah, it'll be so, it'll be interesting, kind of a live reaction. Yeah, like shortly after we watch the episode. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for that. If you're looking for our normal news coverage, we've attached that to our our episodes reviews for Loki. Um, so on this uh, last week's episode when we did our Loki episode five review, we talked about the new what if trailer. So if you want our reactions to that, just make sure to tune into that episode. And so with the Loki finale discussion, we'll also be talking out about the black widow's box office performance. Um, and some of the Emmy nominations that, that we got, uh, today for WandaVision and Falcon, and the winter soldier. So oh, okay. we'll be, we'll be going over those among some other, some other smaller stories that that popped up um, throughout the MCU this week. So make sure to to tune in for that. 
Um, we will be taking a bit of a break after our Loki finale review, um, but we will we will be back shortly after <laughs> discussing, um, you know, probably our preview for What If, because that is right around the pretty, corner on August eleventh. Pretty, pretty much. So yeah, this coming week we'll have uh, our Loki finale, then we're taking a week off. We happen to both be going on vacation that same week. Uh, and then we'll have another episode that week before. It sounds like it's going to be a what if preview. Yeah, that maybe we'll pick another topic because I don't I don't think there's a ton to preview on that. But no, um, maybe we'll pick some other kind of fun topics. So stay tuned and make sure to, to join us for our, our Loki finale review and definitely go back and listen to the series so far. I think we had some really interesting discussion and you can call us out on all of our theories that were wrong <laughs> after uh, the finale airs. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for our Black Widow review. Um, make sure to join us for our Loki review, as well as um, any other MCU reviews that, that we'll be coming at you with in the future. Our next uh, film review will be Shang-Chi in just a couple short months. Thanks again for joining us. For Jared, I'm John. We'll see you next time. This message will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one.